Today I am super excited to be a part of this series. Uh, there's, I'm super excited because of a couple of things. One, I am a huge Old Testament guy. I love my Old Testament. I am in that more than I am the New Testament. And I believe that to be too often ignored. It's one of those things that we either feel like we're disconnected from or we don't have the ability to understand or go to it. But there is so much in that text. And I hope that this series is opening our eyes to that and is challenging you to dig deeper into our Bible as an entirety and not just the passages that are easier, the passages that you like. I'm also super excited because I get the privilege this morning to preach on three words. It's the shortest text that I have ever been handed to preach on, uh, and those are on the screen. Do not steal. It's pretty simple, right? Like this one, just kind of like the do not murder. It should be an easy box to check. Just do not steal. We all go home, right? Would be that simple if we didn't have a sinful heart connection or sinful heart condition. Like the rest of the last five commandments, this one seems to be pretty situational when we just look at it at face value. Seems like a fairly easy box just to check and then to keep on reading and then to not really dig deep and ask ourselves, are we breaking this commandment? Are we going against God or God's moral character according to this commandment? We end up with thoughts like, well, I haven't killed anyone, or I haven't stolen anything lately, or I've never slept with another man's wife, I haven't lied in court, I have my own stuff, I don't need somebody else's, and then we just sit there and we check these boxes and then we move on and don't dig into what does it mean specifically for us, and what is the heart issue that God is pointing out to his people. Church, I hope this series has been challenging you on that, and I hope today challenge you as well, that we're not just here to check boxes on a list and then be able, so we can be able to circle and check our heaven box and then move on. That's not what these are here for. This series has certain, certainly challenged me and especially preparing for today as I dug further into this commandment, the challenge gets more personal. And that's what I'm going to talk to today. So similar to the do not murder commandment, I'm going to reference back to Scott's message uh, a couple of weeks ago. This one seems pretty simple. But there's uncomfortable things to talk here. We're going to be talking about how this affects the heart issue how this is different than just the simple grabbing something off the shelf and walking out of a convenience store. This is going to be talking about money. Hey, it's everybody's favorite from the pulpit, right? And then we are going to continue to talk about what is the heart issue here and what is the point of these commandments and specifically do not steal. There's hard things that have been talked about in the series, and that's not going to change. So if you guys are struggling through this stuff, if some of this hits home and some of this spurs on emotions and hard things, please reach out and talk to somebody. Build those relationships, lean on each other. 
whether it's somebody sitting next to you in the pew, whether it's a deacon, whether it's an elder, and just continue to be open and honest with those things. I will be certainly available today after I preach, and I'll always be available as long as I'm serving at this church for you to be able to reach out, pick my brain, even if you just need me to listen and pray with you. So, without further ado, let's talk about stealing. And then, ultimately, let's talk about the very important thing of our much-needed God and what that looks like amongst this commandment. So just to start, those three words on the screen, that's the toddler version of what we're talking about today. That's what I tell my five-year-old when she's reaching through the fence with a stick trying to knock the plums off of a tree of our neighbors so she can drag it over to her and then reach through, grab it, and eat it. So if that's what you're struggling with today, come up here and talk to me. I'll tell you to stop. I'll flick you on the head, take your stick, and then have you go pay the owner back and apologize to them. So turn with me to Exodus 22, 1 and 4. Exodus 21, 33 to 22, 14 is talking about this thing called restitution. It's basically paying people back for crimes or accidents that ends up costing them. So verse 1, when a man steals an ox or a sheep and butchers it or sells it, he must repay five cattle for the ox or four sheep for the sheep. And four, if what was stolen, whether an ox or a donkey or a sheep, is actually found alive in his possession, he must repay double. So we're not digging too deep into the actual Old Testament laws. I just want to start talking about the principle and kind of the overarching thing. With this, I just want to point out that we see that God is not only telling people to pay back what they stole, but at a minimum, double what they stole. He's even saying to pay them back four times as much if the animal was already sold or butchered or it can't be given back to the individual. The main point I want to drive home here is this stuff is important. God sees this as an issue and he cares about it. He cares about it all the way to the point where if the thief can't pay back the debt, he is to be sold as a bondservant in order to pay that debt. This is a serious offense. And God is very serious, even more so about the heart and the motives. And we'll get to that a little bit later. So as we just kind of address that, that obvious, that, that just initial thing of, hey, if you steal something, you need to pay it back. Let's start digging into the layers of this. Because the overt stealing is, is kind of the easy one. It's wrong, sinful, illegal, and it's bad. Again, it's the toddler version. And if you are struggling with that in your life, don't hesitate to reach out. (laughs) As I joked with uh, one of my employees the other day, uh, I don't believe we ever really grow up, we just get bigger. So if that's your struggle, let's start with the overt and start digging down to the heart issue. And that's just the thing, is even if you want it, which is a commandment we'll get in a couple, uh, 
or get to in a couple of weeks, it still does not make it right for you to take something that is not yours. But then we kind of make gray areas. So what about this idea of not paying for a fair price of a deal or cheating somebody or taking advantage of somebody and dealing with them? Deceiving people out of what it is that they have earned. Purposefully misleading someone so you can get what you want and they don't. All of these things are still just kind of the surface level of our sin. But when we dig into our hearts of what it means to do not steal, there's even bigger problems, and that's where we start to make things into gray areas. So we can still check the box in our mind of do not steal, but we can still get what we want. We may be doing that just so we can get ahead in life. Or maybe it's a matter of pride, or to make yourself feel powerful or smart. But we have to remember that God cares about the motives, not just the action that we take. He cares about the heart. We can't just check that box, church. When we don't treat our neighbors fairly, we can't say, well, I didn't take something off the shelf. Or I, just, I was able to pay a little bit for it, just not as much as I should have. Or it was their, their fault that they weren't smart enough to actually be able to compete with my negotiations. If that's our thought process when we go into these things, then we are wrong. We are not checking this box of do not steal. We are so wrong, in fact, that when we fail this covenant, it's not just this one that we end up breaking. We break others as well. And the example that I want to use in that uh, was from Scott's message uh, a few weeks ago when he went to Matthew 15. He was addressing the Pharisees breaking the covenant of do, or, uh, honor your mother and father. And they were breaking this to keep their traditions. It was their traditions of they could dedicate something to God so therefore that they didn't have to pay out what was needed when they had their mother and father in need. They could essentially hide and squirrel away their possessions and their money. This was not only breaking that commandment of honoring your mother and father because it was a deceitful way to deal with them. But it also breaks do not steal. Because according to God's law, that stuff, that monetary stuff, was meant to be able to support your family, to support the people around you. Not for you to just hide and bury in the desert. Which, this is being done typically because of hatred or bitterness within our hearts. So, we're also breaking do not murder, because as we saw, that's the root of murder, is hatred, bitterness. And then by the way, you're desiring these things, you're hiding them away, you're holding on to them to the point where you're willing to do evil, therefore you're coveting, and you break that commandment. And then if you claim God's name, and you claim to carry the name of God or Christ, then you're also breaking carrying the Lord's name in vain. 
All of this stuff is all consuming. It distracts us from God. It keeps us from following him wholeheartedly, and therefore we end up creating a material idol. It's something that we care more about than following God's commands, which means we throw another commandment broken in there. So what is my point, church? At this point, it is twofold. So if you notice, I'm kind of switching from the their context within Matthew 15. It's not just about the Pharisees. It wasn't just about the leaders of the law. It's about us today. This applies to us. This is a we ideal. All of these commandments are very intimately connected. And we are all constantly having to fight to follow God's moral character, which is portrayed within these commandments. It's very similar to what even Brent said back at the beginning of this series, where we try to disconnect the Old Testament from the New Testament. We try to make a break in, the, in our Bible, when really they're just one seamless story that goes all the way throughout we do that with most of our text, where we try to isolate passages to make it say what we want it to say. And I believe the Ten Commandments, we really do this because it's a list. I don't know about you guys, but I like lists. I got those at work all day long. Get to check things off and move on. It's great. But that's not what this is. We can't separate these commandments out into ten points, check each box, and that way we can circle heaven at the top of our page. This isn't a test of where you get a 70 or better, you end up passing. They are all intimately connected, they're inseparable, and they all lead to heart issues. And if we break one of them, we're failing all of them. And we need a solution to that issue. The other point I want to make with that is the Ten Commandments are an outpouring of God's character. This isn't just rules that he handed us and said, hey, you got to follow this. This is how you got to live life. This is who God is. The reason it's a moral law is because it's based on God. It's not just to reduce our fun. It's not just so we can try to prove ourselves. It's who he is. It's the reason why Jesus summed up the law into the two commandments of Matthew 22. Summarizing is love God and love people. Because like today, the people at the time were worried about that legalistic checklist. How can I check the box but still do what it is that I want to do and get away with it? They lost sight of the purpose of the moral law. And God's character is too often forgotten this. So I want us to read Exodus 20 again, 1 through 17. It's where we've been at for the past few weeks. But this time I want us to read it as God being the example, and this is his character, and not read it as a checklist of how do I check these boxes and move on. So Exodus 20. 1 through 17. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Do not have other gods besides me. Do not bow, uh, 
in worship to them. Do not serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, bringing the consequences of the father's iniquities on the children to the third and the fourth generation of all those who hate me, but showing faithful love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God, because the Lord will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You are to labor six days and do all your work, and on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work. You, your son, your daughter, your male or female servant, your livestock, your resident alien who is within your city gates. For the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them in six days, and then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. Honor your father and mother so that you may have a long life in the land that your God is giving you. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony against your neighbor, do not covet your neighbor's house, do not covet your neighbor's wife, his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. All right, church, so starting this morning with three words. It's like guys are probably all thinking, hey, we're going to get out here early today, right? <laughs> Sorry, that was uh, just my intro. How much time you guys got? No? All right. Don't worry. Okay. <laughs> I like you. <laughs> All right. First, when really looking at these words in the Hebrew text of do not steal, I want to look at the Hebrew word for steal. It has a much deeper meaning than what we get in the English translation. And that's really what starts to open our eyes on how many layers there are to this commandment. So turn to Genesis 31, 19 and 20, and then we'll also be in 26 and 27. And we're going to see that Hebrew word used in two different ways in the same passage. It's going to be used to say stole and deceived or deceive. So Genesis 31, 19 and 20. When Laban had gone to shear his sheep, Rachel stole her father's household idols, and Jacob deceived Laban the Armenian. Do not tell, or, oh, sorry, not telling him that he was fleeing. And then verses 26 and 27. Laban said to Jacob, what have you done? You have deceived me and taken my daughters away like prisoners of war. Why do you secretly flee from me, deceiving me, and not telling me? I would have sent you away with joy and singing, with tambourines and lyres. So as we see within this passage, so that word stole, Rachel stole her father's household items, is the same Hebrew word used in our commandment today. It is also the same word where it says Jacob deceived so with just our initial view of this text of within a sent, or, uh, two sentences, we see this word using sli being used slightly different in order for the English to understand what is being said. This shows us that Hebrew is very complex. It's not simple. We can't just, again, check that box and simply say, well, I haven't stolen anything. We see here that there's a deeper meaning. There's deception that is involved within this. Within the next passage, we see deceive and deceived. 
or sorry, just deceive. Uh, oh no, both are in there. Excuse me. Deceived and deceive. Those are again the same Hebrew word that's used within our text. Adding more weight to this idea of stealing is not just taking something off of the shelf. It's deceptive. It has a deeper and stronger meaning. It gets closer to the heart when we start to look at do not steal within this manner. Just to background the story of Jacob, he was known as the deceiver. He deceived his father and his brother, and he ended up having to flee from them because he was afraid that they were going to kill him. He went and met his uncle Laban, and he was deceived by Laban and ended up marrying both of his daughters. He worked for Laban and tended his flock. He profited greatly from doing this, and we're now kind of at that part where Jacob starts fleeing from Laban because he's a little bit worried about his deception that he was using in order to profit gratefully from Laban's flock. And that's where we end up here. Jacob didn't deal with his uncle honestly. His uncle didn't deal with him honestly. We see that deception running deep. So now we get to this point. Laban's talking to Jacob. In our first passage, the deceiving, or the deceiving is derived from the same word, and we need to keep that in mind. We have steal or stole and deceived right next to each other. What does that mean for us today? We see the background of this story. We have the turmoil. We have the broken relationships. We have people fleeing their family because of this deep-rooted issue, because of this deception, because they were trying to get ahead of each other or get even with each other or one-up each other. This caused for a lot of family strife. It caused for life to not move smoothly, and it could even cause death. This is where our commandment comes in, it, because it's the character of God to be honest, to be generous, and to always be righteous. When we deceive and when we steal, we're really looking at the same heart problem with a consequence that affects us here in this world today, as we saw back with, or saw with Jacob and Laban, and our eternal consequence, where we have essentially parted from the entire moral law of the Ten Commandments. Then if we just look at Laban's response in verse 27, when we start talking about the eternal, we can start to look through kind of the lens of what Laban is saying to Jacob. If this commandment wasn't broken, if this was one of a family connecting and this was leaning on each other and being honest with each other, instead of deceiving and causing strife, we wouldn't have the broken relationship. When we make those gray areas as Laban and Jacob did of how can I get ahead, of how can I get around what's happening to get the best for me, we end up being separated from each other relationally here and separated relationally from God. It's not to say that at times things are hard and support is needed or desperation doesn't exist. Because as we see, Jacob is fleeing because of the wrong he did, but instead of standing firm and trying to pay back 
and connect and repent, we end up seeing more strife. We end up seeing more strain within the relationship. So it's not to show that those examples and those things don't exist. It's to show that the goal and the key and the only way out is to break another one of God's commandments. This goes against God's character. To be honest and to be generous may mean you're not going to get ahead in this world by a worldly standards. It may mean that you end up taking the hit. It may end up meaning that in this case, Jacob ended up losing his flock because he had to pay recompense according to the law of the Israelites. All of this stuff may end up hurting you financially. It may end up hurting you in the things that you have or the things that you want. It's going to affect your pride. But if we live by the worldly standard, we will continue to cause rifts and separate relationships. But if we live by this godly standard, we may lose within this worldly life, but we're going to reflect God and we're going to be able to give him the glory when it's all said and done. Sometimes you taking that hit and sometimes you being the one who loses out makes God shine so brightly and they start asking the questions of, well, why did he do that? You stand out, you're different, and you should be if you have a heart change. So let's move on. So then we see kind of within this text, so this do not steal. It's not as simple as what it appears in the English and on our page. And we start to see that the word itself is very complicated, but let's start digging further into that heart issue. Because this thing does go deeper, and it still is more complex even when we look at the English word of what it means to steal. So Malachi, or Malachi 3, 6 through 12 is where we're headed next. When we look at this, and actually we're going to see right at the beginning that Jacob is actually at the beginning of this statement. Fits into this context quite nicely. It's Malachi 3, 6 through 12. Because I, the Lord, have not changed, you, descendants of Jacob, have not been destroyed since the days of your ancestors, you have turned away from my statutes. You have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of armies. Yet you ask, how can we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. How do we rob you, you ask, by not making the payments of the tenth and the contributions? You are suffering under a curse, yet you, the whole nation, are still robbing me. Bring the full tenth to the storehouses so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this way, says the Lord of armies. See if I will open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not ruin your produce of your land and your vine in your field will not fail to produce fruit, says the Lord of armies. And then all the nations will consider you fortunate for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of armies. So a couple of things to kind of point out in here. So I already mentioned Jacob's right at the beginning of this. There's no, there's no surprise that when we see kind of this commandment come up, that Jacob is the one that is quoted as being the ancestor of these people. 
And we just talked a little bit about that. A couple other things just to point out as I quickly touch this passage. So here we have God being referred to as the Lord of armies or the Lord of hosts. This is his powerful name. It's, it's his military name for sake of simplicity. And as we look at this passage, we see just his strength in that. And actually Malachi is the book that has the highest percentage of using this name of God for a couple of different reasons. But just keep that in mind of how passionate he has to be that he's using that name for himself when referring to being robbed by his people. We have the people here breaking God's commandment, do not steal. And it's nothing new. This has been the same since Genesis 3. And then at the end of this, God's commands will ultimately end in blessing, as we see at the end of this passage. We even see at the end of our previous passage with Laban talking about a party for Jacob if you were to be honest with him. Just as an off-bar on that, going off notes here, uh, wouldn't you guys rather be at a party with your family members, or would you rather be chased down with them, wondering if they're coming after you to kill you? Who, who would like the second one? Okay. That just popped into my head, and I was like, oh, yeah, that's interesting. So keeping God's commandments leads us more to the path of the first one. Sometimes it doesn't end up that black and white and that easy within our lifespan. But that's the ultimate object lesson of how we relate to God and what that ends up being when we relate to God. So as far as breaking God's commandments, so that's under my statutes, another way of saying kind of law or his commandments or, or what he has put forth for the people to follow. Uh, and then God uses this term of robbing, which is another word for stealing. So we have that commandment directly being said by God that, hey, you are robbing me. You are stealing from me. You are breaking my statutes and my commandments. So we see that there's a little bit more of a layer there of we kind of have two sides of this coin of stealing being taking something and then also not giving what is required of you. It's another gray area that we kind of make and another thing that we kind of construct so that way we can do what we want and get what we want. But in here, we see a very direct response from God. In the context of this, he is calling out the people because they're not tithing him, which means he is calling it robbery. What tithe was back in that day was 10% of the Israelites' first fruits that they had for the year. They would end up giving this and dedicating this to God and not using it for themselves, showing a faithfulness and obedience. Now, I'm not going to dive too deeply into the Old Testament law. I just want to pull the principle out of this and continue to move forward and try to get closer to the heart of the problem. So in, in kind of this idea of the giving aspect, let's turn to Acts 5, 1. Be up on the screen. And this is where we're going to see a very stark and a very harsh punishment for this idea of honesty and giving. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. However, he kept back a part of the proceeds with his wife's knowledge. 
and brought a portion of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Ananias, Peter asked, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back a portion of the, er, sorry, keep back a part of the proceeds of the land? Wasn't it yours while you possessed it? And after it was sold, wasn't it at your disposal? Why is it that you have planned this thing in your heart? You have not lied to people, but to God. When he heard these words, Ananias dropped dead, and a great fear came on all who heard. God is serious about this stuff. He is serious about the intent in the heart. This Acts passage, we see kind of the Christian community coming together and giving what they had to support the growing kingdom of God and to support one another. And then we have this story of Ananias and his wife, who his wife also dies a little bit later in this passage. And they present an offering with deception. Their heart was not for furthering God's kingdom or for being honest and being broken. It wasn't even for completely giving. It was more than likely for either pride or so they could look good among the people. Or maybe it was for fear that they kept more back of not giving up everything because they were afraid of what would happen. And instead of being honest with that, they lied about it. They robbed God, and then they lied about it. And then we see they had a physical consequences, but then we also get to see our spiritual consequences as an object lesson within this. This is what happened to both of them. Giving is very important to God, and honesty in that is at most importance. God uses humans to take what he has blessed them with and then uses them to further his kingdom. It's not that God needs our money. He didn't need the Israelites' food. He doesn't need us to feed him or to fund him. He can accomplish his will with or without us, with or without our money. But he uses this as a way to grow our faith to strengthen us, to show our obedience to him, to show that we can trust in him and that he is always enough. It's also to prevent us from attaching ourselves to the material. So let me ask the money question as the non-paid guy standpoint up here. Are you giving? Do you trust God enough to give until it hurts? Are you afraid to do so? And I'm not talking about mindlessly just writing a check and then forgetting about it or hitting auto pay and then moving on. Are you praying about how you give or how much you should keep? Are you intentional with your giving? Are you specific and involved? At the end of the day, it's all God's money anyway. We're just stewards of it. We just kind of take it and use it. And we get to enjoy the blessings of it. But ultimately, it should be looked at as God's money. We see in the parables with Jesus, he uses a number of times servants serving a master and be giving something, whether it be coin or responsibility. And those who misuse that responsibility or that money, you see a very harsh consequence. 
And then those who you see use it well and who are faithful with it, he blesses amazingly. The next point when we're looking at the Malachi passage is, is there's nothing new. This is a heart condition. It's a sin problem. It's a sin condition. And we have seen it all the way from Genesis chapter 3, which was the fall. And it will continue to be here on this fallen world until Jesus' return. But the good news in that is, is God is ready and willing to bless those who follow his commandments. He does so greatly in this life, sometimes not in the way that we thought or wanted, but he does in this life and in the life to come and in so many ways and ways we never thought we would be blessed. So just to recap before we get into the last layer and wrap up for the day. So we started off with do not steal. It's the toddler version, right? Just don't take something and walk away with it if it's not yours. We continue down that line of understanding of there is a deception or deceptive nature to this term in the Hebrew. It also can be directly translated as deceive instead of steal. Then we looked a little deeper and we saw that there was two sides of this. There was taking and there is giving. Both can be seen as robbery if they are done with ill intent in the heart or if you are not giving what is required of you and taking what is not yours. So let's go a little bit deeper and look at the reason why this is important, especially for us and what it really looks like and what we're stealing in our lives. So Mark 12, 13 through 17 is where we're headed here. This is where we're going to get really kind of to the root of why this exists and the root of the problem. Mark 12, 13 through 17. Then they sent some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to Jesus to trap him in his words. When they came, they said to him, Teacher, we know that you are truthful and don't care what anybody thinks, nor do you show partiality but teach the ways of God truthfully. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why are you testing me? Bring me a denarius to look at. And then they brought him a, or brought him a coin. Whose image and inscription is this? He asked them. Caesar's, they replied. Jesus told them, Give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they were utterly amazed at him. This response by Jesus is my favorite response in all of our recorded responses he has to the religious leaders at the time. First off, do you really think that Jesus didn't know what a denarius is? He didn't know what was on the face of it? It would be like asking for a quarter today, or maybe for our kids, asking for an iPhone, because apparently we don't use change anymore. But he, he didn't need to know what it is. He knew what a denarius was. Imagine the confusion of the religious leaders as they were fumbling out a coin to give him something that was very common of the day. And then he just simply points out the obvious on the coin. It's the same thing that I'll do with my kids when I'm trying to get them to connect the visual and the actual action together as I teach them a lesson. 
He does this by asking, who's on this coin? Who, who does it belong to? It's obvious who made the coin. He put his image on it. They sent it out to further his kingdom and to be distributed and to show him and give him glory. And the question of the denarius is very simple. It's Caesar. It's Caesar's face, his inscription, his coin. That was the obvious that Jesus was pointing out to them. So the less obvious comes forth when Jesus ends his statement, which is, leaves the question of what are we to give to God? We know he is saying to give to Caesar because he's holding the coin right there in front of him. There's, there's no miscommunication here. They were also utterly amazed, so you know they got the point, but refused to engage further. Therefore, what do we give to God? Church, that's the answer of kind of the questions that we're looking at today. It's kind of the answer of the heart issue of do not steal, and what does that really mean, and what does that really reflect? See, the Jews thought the Romans were stealing from them, and they were, but that wasn't the problem when it came to God and his relationship. The taxes were just another material distraction for the people. It was another way that the Jewish corrupt leaders could work their power and influence to gain more power and influence. It was a way that they could try to deceive and distract from Jesus. They used deception very well. They used it to distract the Jewish people away from God and to the religious party that they were attached to to try to say that they were the right ones to be in power. They were the right ones to have influence. Not Rome, not Jesus, and ultimately not God. They weren't only trying to deceive and trap Jesus, they were trying to steal God's authority and his glory. And they were willing to do it by any means possible. So Jesus' response, it not only addressed the surface level and the material, but it blew right through to the heart and the spiritual. It's the issue of if this is Caesar's coin, you are to give it back to him because he owns it. There's no reason he should not ask it back from you and you hand it to him. But if it's God's, then you should be willing to give that back to God. In the direct context of this passage, the question can only be answered with this. What is God's image on? That's the point that Jesus is challenging the people to look at. And I think it's something that we need to look into. So turn with me to Genesis 1. All the way back at the beginning. And God said, let us make man in our own image, according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created them in the image of God. He created them male and female. 
I apologize. That was verse 26 and 27. Realized that after I started reading. So what is more important or more important? Is it the coin that was worth a day's wages or is it the human that works for it? You see, the image of Caesar is on that coin and it was turned around to remind the people of this passage of Genesis 1. It was to point them back to the heart issue and not just the simple box to be checked. Not just simply, should we pay taxes? Well, it's Caesar's, right? We'll give it to him. If you don't give it to him, that's breaking this commandment. So we're not just simply checking a heaven box with this response that Jesus gives us. As we see in Genesis 1, the image of God is on us, mankind. And like Caesar's coin, God made us to distribute us and has decided to have us be a part of his plan of growing his kingdom. Again, he doesn't need us to feed him. This is, a, or this, or the heart of this is simply, we are in God's image. Therefore, we are his. Completely and unquestionably. He has given us the freedom to rebel or the freedom to be used to do amazing things for his kingdom. But if we want change, and if we want to truly be counted of one of God's children, then there has to be something that breaks the cycle that has been here ever since Genesis 3. We need to be changed, and there was only one person that could do that. And he was the one that was reminding the people of whose image that they carry, whose image that they were created in. That person was Jesus. Jesus is the bridge between us and the commandments. The commandments remind us of God's character and how far away we are from checking these boxes on our own. And Jesus is the one who offers his righteousness for our sin. Because he didn't steal his righteousness from God. He didn't steal his glory from God. He didn't steal his authority to God. While he was here on earth, he gave it up to God and show us, showed us that example. He always had it since the beginning of time, but then humbled himself to give us the example and the way forward because unlike Adam, Jesus never fell into his sin. And Jesus continued to live the life that we should have lived and took the death that we should have had. Jesus chose to die on a cross in order to pay the rightful price of our sin. So that way we could turn and give up our pride, give up our hold on our worldly things in this fallen place and follow him as the example of God's character. If we so choose. Again, God gave us the freedom to rebel. I leave you with this today. And please wrestle through this. The greatest commandment, as we saw in Matthew 22 a few weeks ago, is to love God. And we see that within the commandments 1 through 4. 
That's the vertical relationship between us and God are those first four commandments. The second is to love people, which we looked at as that horizontal relationship of the last six commandments being how do we relate to other people as we try to follow God's image? Church, the bridge between these things of how our heart changes so we seek others first, how we seek God first before ourselves, we put ourselves so low on the list that we do not take over God's glory or we don't focus on getting ahead the bridge of that is a cross. It gives us the ability to walk closer to God. It gives us the ability to follow his example. And it gives us the path to be able to live where we truly belong. And that is before God. Let's pray. Father, I do want to just thank you for the... Uh, the amazing, the amazing pleasure it is to have Scripture so readily available for us, that we're able to read it, we're able to read it in English, to dig into uh, the Hebrew text, the original languages, and to be able to continue to be strengthened and grown within your church family. So Father, as our hearts wrestle through things that, that are talked about, through relationships, through through heart problems, through turmoil in our lives, I pray that we lean on each other. You open our hearts up and you humble us. You continue to refine us and make us stronger. Pray these things in your son's name. Amen.